Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. My aim is to utilize the experience and knowledge of experts from a wide range of different fields and to translate these into easy to follow principles that can be adopted by you to improve your life and those around you. Today, I welcome Yuval Aylon to the podcast. During this episode, we dive into Yuval's past experiences performing as part of an international gymnastics team, on stage in Las Vegas for over eight years, hand and head balancing, and a lot more. I've been fortunate to have been taught by Yuval at a number of events in the past, and I'm very grateful to be able to share many of his methods with you today. Let's get into it. Yuval, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I would really like to get into uh, your career. Uh, it's been diverse. You've been involved with many very interesting things, I think. Would you be able to go into a few of those things? If you're it's a 20 plus year career would i be right in saying that well I, it's actually closer to 40 <laughs> whoa okay so really underestimated yeah that I, I mean <laughs> just to to make a big uh, so i started when i was um, i grew up in israel i, I started uh, gymnastics i found gymnastics when i was about eight years old uh seven or eight years old and very, very fast, I realized that that's my calling. You know, I felt uh, at home at the, at the gym, uh, fell in love with the sport. And, uh, and literally from that moment on, went through a whole gymnast- gymnastics career until I retired in, to, in uh, 1998, sorry. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and so, so I, you know, my, my base of my, my, uh, my movement practice or my, my sport is gymnastics. That's, that's where, where, where I uh, grew up, both as a person and as an athlete. And um, so, so you, you know, going back into the connection to handstand, which is my main discipline, I've basically doing, I've been doing handstand um, on my own since, uh, you know, for, for the last almost 40 years. So, so that, that's, that's like the big, the big picture. Um, but, you know, the first part, the first uh, almost 20 years of my, my career, I was a full-on, all-around uh, gymnast. I never, uh, never viewed myself as a hand balancer it was, or a circus artist. It was, gymna- I'm a gymnast. That was my my identity and and Hansen was was a small part, small and important part of of this picture. What was the training like for gymnastics generally, Yuval? I mean, one, what would be a typical day for a gymnast? Obviously, it's going to change throughout yeah, the time I mean, you're I mean, in it. It, it changes. It changes also. Uh, it goes in cycles within this uh, when you're a competitive uh, gymnast. So there is a certain period of time where you building skill and strength and you know conditioning period uh so it's a combination of a lot of strength training and a lot of technical work where on each one of the apparatus you 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 know you you constantly try to uh develop new skills increase your starting value so you know a typical practice would be you know a little warm-up then some, uh, you know, some strength work on the rings on the parallel bars, 
um, and then and then uh, you know general prehab uh, rehab stuff. All gymnasts are at some point injured or usually have some injuries, so you take care of a little bit of that, and then and then uh, go through the different apparatus. Uh, depending on the time of it. Sometimes you have time, if you have two practices a day, you can do three apparatuses in the morning, three apparatuses in the afternoon. You know, so you have the floor, the pommel horse, the rings, the vault, the parallel bars and the high bar. And, and each, each one of them can, you know, you can train from between half an hour to an hour, depending on the time you have and, and what type of work you have that you're doing. And, and, and uh, this changes as you prepare for competition uh, where, where you have to make sure you don't come to the competition exhausted. You need to be on your peak, peak performance. So, so the practices are much shorter and to the point. So you do a warm up, one or two warm ups on each event in, in, if you are doing routines and, and then you can do you know, one to four routines per apparatus which is, you know, each one lasts between, depending, usually a uh, few seconds if it's the vault to one minute, if it's a palm horse or parallel bars or rings, you know. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's, it varies a lot depending on which, which time of the year you are at and which cycle of, of competition. Um, so, so a lot of, you know, it, it kind of goes up and down and if you are injured or not, uh, that also changes the picture, how did, how you prepare for competition. Did you have a favorite or a least favorite discipline? Because I'm sure everyone's got one they tend to sort of gravitate towards more. It's really, it's a good question because I mean, I, my my strength was more of an all around. I was an all around uh, gymnast. I loved the high bar. I loved the rings, but I, I you know I enjoyed the work on each the challenge of each apparatus. And, and what I preferred not, didn't always reflect on the score I had on them. So I loved the high bar, but it wasn't necessarily my highest scoring uh, apparatus. Um, but, but my strength later on as, as like I was, I, I finished my, my career in, in the US Collegiate uh, League, the NCAA. Uh, and I was, I was basically recruited there as an all-arounder. So my big strength where I contributed the most to the team was my ability to be consistent in all, in all the apparatus. Um, I wasn't able to, you know, to be the top on, on uh, an ind individual apparatus. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how it is. You see that in many sports, though, don't you? You see it in football and other team disciplines as well. You see you normally have someone who might be center midfield or central defense that is like the anchor. They're consistently, they're consistently good. They don't specialize too much in one part of the pitch or another or one particular attribute, but they're always consistent. And there's huge value in that, I think, as a, as a team collective. The, the team was very important during that experience. I mean, I was also, also a national team member in, in Israel and represented uh, Israel for uh, some European and world championships. Um, never made it to the Olympics. That's one of the, the dreams that did not come true. Um, but uh, that's, that's how it is, you know, when, when you're an athlete. Um, it also opened the door for, for other things. So, so it, in, in a way, this, this little failure along the way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, opened the door for, for what 
came after. Are there particular injuries that you see or saw a lot of in gymnastics? Are there things that are quite common, like shoulders, knees, backs? Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. So back, shoulders, uh, wrist, knees. Everything. <laughs> Achilles, everything, you know, depend, you know, the weak link usually yeah, yeah. goes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, really aggressive sport. It's not healthy uh, as, as most, you know, uh, high level uh, sports. You have a lot of injuries and, and because you... You always you're pushing your limits. Um, you know there there's always a chance that you'll get injured along the way um, because of mistakes you made on a point or the way you train. And, and there's many many different factors. But but I I finished my career with a bad back. So so my my last season my last collegiate season um, I went through a career relatively without too many injuries. I had one time a bone chip in, in my wrist, but no serious injuries. Shoulders, knees were good. Um, and then my last year of competition, I, uh, you know, my back, I, I, I uh, had the bulging or herniated disc uh, in the beginning, beginning of the competition season, uh, one month before the competition season started. And I was, you know, I was in the point I had a high, you know, excruciating sciatica uh, sim symptoms. I couldn't, couldn't do anything. And then um, it was too close. I got a cortisone shot in the beginning of the season and did some rehab. And then little by little, I was able to uh, slowly go back into competing all around where the last two competitions of the year, the regionals and the nationals, I did all around again didn't do didn't finish my career as well as i wanted you know and my peak performance as an all-arounder but i was you know my team did well uh, we did very well in this uh, competition and but but i you know this is like a, a, a big moment in my career in my life i landed my last dismount on the parallel bars and the moment i landed i, I realized that it was over at this one you know, big, very emotional moment for me. Um, and I realized that, that, you know, my dreams for the Olympics were not going to happen. It was two years before the, the 2000 Olympics. And I realized that there's no way I can uh, take myself, my body to, you know, uh, and, and go through the preparation needed for, for such a big uh, competition. So, so I kind of like, it was a big realization moment. At this moment, I realized that the career uh, of a competitive gymnast was over and I need to, and, and I didn't think much. I just, you know, let it go for a while. And, and then uh, it took me a few good years before I, I re, uh, rediscovered my, my path and, uh, and found <clears throat> what led me to, to what I'm doing now. It's uh, in terms of healthy, you obviously mentioned it's not healthy. And I think a lot of people perceive maybe because they've done some gymnastic bodies work or they've done something a little bit um, softer in terms of something that's designed for us as a general population. Would you say that that's partly down to the ranges that are being worked? Would you say it's down to how far you've been pushed, the, the need to constantly sort of progress further and further and further because the competitions or the standard is so high? Would you say they all contribute towards that? And that's and most, I mean, I don't think 
most athletes are doing what they're doing for health reasons, for fitness. You know, I never, I never uh, saw myself as doing it for, you know, how my body looks or how I, how to, it's because of my, my passion to the sport, you know, for, for the specific uh, sport that I found that uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the competition. And then you have a, com a combination of the actual um, sport itself, the movement it includes, you know, the acrobatics, which I, I loved. And then, and then the competitive aspect of it, you want to always improve yourself to compete in gymnastics. It's very much uh, competing against yourself. You know, you go, you go into onto the podium and compete, and, and then it's like a tunnel vision. It's just you and your body and executing what you prepare to do. No other external forces, no opponent. It's just you competing against yourself, against your nerves. And, and then in order to compete with other people, you know, to finish in, in a higher ranking, you always need to develop a higher level of, of skill, uh, which often includes a lot of forces. And, and, and you, you, it's kind of an experiment. You know, the, the higher you go, the higher level the skills are today, the more impact there is on the body. And if you do a mistake, when you do a triple salto off the high bar, and land incorrectly, the forces are, are too much to, to deal with. And then injuries happen from that, like impact injuries or, uh, or injuries that are caused by, by high repetition of, of, of a very uh, demanding skill. You know, so, so every sport is different. I'm just specifically for, for gymnastics. Uh, uh, this is very, very typical. So do you think that development or the the need to uh, constantly sort of check in with yourself, constantly develop your own practice, is that what led you through to, and excuse the pronunciation, but Lorev is where you went on to next? Was that shortly after the gymnastics? It wasn't. It, I went through, you know, a, a quite a long period. I, like I, I retired from gymnastics in, in um, May 1998. And I didn't start the, uh, my work in Lorev by uh, before 2006. So there is a period where you know I was wandering around and having no idea what I want to do with my life, which has nothing to you know. I, I kind of like uh, you know my mindset as an athlete. You know, I finished my career and I said, okay, I did my sports and now I'll you you know and now I'm gonna go and and find another path. And I tried to work in, you know, I got a degree in communications and I tried to work in, 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 in the marketing and in the high-tech industry. And it simply did not work. I tried because I'm stubborn. I tried a few years, but then, you know, a few slaps in the face and I realized that it's really not for me. And um, took a break. I went to travel in India for a little bit and, and then came back with no answers. And, but, but what happened after that, that uh, journey or trip I did in India was that I, I kind of, I realized that I need to, you know, stay close to areas connected to my body. And, and that led me to start exploring, um, you know, I, there was a, this little circus company in Tel Aviv, which I saw and I was like, ah, and I met the guy who owns it. And, and he, hey, do you want to, you know, I, you can still flip, you can do it. So I, so I started 
you know, playing with, with street performance and, and I still, you know, had a lot of acrobatic knowledge that I was able to apply, put some makeup on and, and, and try things, you know? And um, during that time, I, I also started teaching some basic acrobatics to non-athletes in Tel Aviv about, uh, it was like the early, uh, early 2000s. And, and this like also what sparked, you know, first, one of the first thing you, you teach in acrobatic classes is handstand. And that kind of really, um, my, my, you know, my curiosity towards uh, that direction. And I start uh, exploring it on my own and looking at some other areas outside of gymnastics. And that's where it's basically the first time I realized uh, hand balancing was a discipline that, that was interesting for me because I, I didn't know also in the circus what, what discipline. I was already 30 also. I wasn't a young circus artist so i had to you know to find find my my path in, in this uh this environment which i at that point i wasn't sure that that it's you know the right thing to do you know in your early 30s to change a career like that and to to take the chances to use your body for mm -hmm. you know for many more years in in, in that type of intensity why would you say that handstands are taught first? I mean, it's it just, it's, it's almost like a primal acrobatic movement. You know, it, it has, you know, it's upside down. It, uh, it requires control of your entire body. And, and uh, it, it's included in almost all acrobatic skills. Okay. So, 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 you know, if you, whether it's gymnastics, the kids learn a handstand from day one, or, or circus schools, every, every circus artist in circus schools around the world, uh, handstand is one of the things that they learn, whether they're jugglers or clowns or, or hand, hand balancing or you know, tightrope walkers. It, it's it's a, one of those fundamental skills that, that can open the door, open the door to other acrobatic disciplines or circus disciplines for that matter. I never knew that everyone had to attain certain skill levels within different disciplines just to even be in or included in the show. Um, I I'm, not, I'm not talking about uh, not talking about the show. I'm talking about uh, actually circus schools today. Oh, there, I see. There, okay. there are circus schools around the world. Uh, it's becoming it's a very developed in France, but there is one of the best ones in Montreal and you know whether you know Kiev circus school or mm -hmm. Russian mm -hmm. circus school. You won't see a, a, um, a juggler even in, in a circus school who doesn't have a basic understanding of the handstand. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's just simply, uh, you know, it's one of those fundamental uh, skills and, and, and disciplines that, that uh, can open the door from, from, different area, from different aspects, whether it's physical or, or just going through the process of learning. Uh, the handstand. Make sure to check out our sponsor, Ape Nutrition. To find out all about their products, their ethos, how they support the environment, and a lot more, check out episode seven. And to save 10% on all orders, head to apenutrition.co.uk using the code HUMAN, that is H U M A N, at the checkout to save. Back to the podcast. So, what other criteria were there? 
for obviously going back to the show side of it what other criteria would sort of be required from yourself and others to to actually join or be a part of it you know so when i um at some point when i realized that uh, i want to give the circus career a, um, a go you know i i started you know i looked at different circus shows and i and i realized uh Cirque, Cirque du Soleil uh is something that is really you know uh, stood out and i was like but where can I fit in? I saw different shows and I was like, mm, this, uh, and, and because I'm not a circus, I don't have a circus act. You know, I didn't go through, you know, most, most uh, people master their circus discipline by the time they're 18 or 20. And I was already in my uh, early thirties. So, but, but then, uh, then I heard there is also uh, generalists, which means basically um, people with, uh, you know, acrobatic background, gymnasts, for example, or acrobats, and then, um, and then there, you know, so you should be able to, to, to have some, you know, good pulling strength and good uh, acrobatics and the ability to be on stage, which was probably the hardest thing for me because I didn't have any, any performance background. So, so I started uh, basically preparing for, for an audition uh, that includes included all of these things, you know. So I got back into my gymnastic shape, the ability to do acrobatics, you know, for example, to do a double flip or tsukahara on the on the floor and and high bar and trampoline. I went to study trampoline with a trampoline teacher and to get you know another uh, you know um, another skill. Uh, and then I took acting and, and movement and dance classes in order to also be able to uh, to show my potential as a as a performer. And um, so so my 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 uh, my first uh, big audition I went to a Cirque du Soleil audition in in actually in near London, um, and the, the physical part of the audition went amazing. And then the last part of the audition, the very last moment of the audition, I was standing, we had to learn the choreography from a show. We had like 10 minutes to learn a choreography and, and do it in front of a camera, which I completely failed. You know, I, I finished the audition with like, I was stuck in front of the camera. I wasn't able to learn the, the choreography and, and present it. And, and this was a very good, you know, a big, uh, you know, slap, and uh, and I said, okay, I have a. This is an area where where I lack a lot. As uh, so so you know, I finished the audition. They said uh, you all did amazing. You are in our on our profile. Uh, we'll call you maybe next week, in a month, or in a year, or never. You know, it's kind of like the the what the, what they say in these auditions because you already, all of the people were pre-selected to the audition. So nobody would, everybody would had a uh, relatively high level and ability. And um, so, so when I went back after that audition, I, I you know, the area where, where I continued to develop my, my uh, acrobatic ability, but also it took more, more dance, more acting, more uh, opportunities to be on stage to prepare myself for a future audition, which came a year later uh, in the form of it's a, a young show called Le Rev, uh, which was uh, just started in Vegas. And they were looking for 
general acrobats. And also since it's a water show, um, it, it requires the ability to be comfortable in the water. So, you know, so I, I you know, part of the preparation for the audition, I also start swimming again <laughs> to be able to, to dive, to be comfortable in the water, you know, and um, so the last part of the audition was also in the swimming pool, the ability to, you know, to swim underwater and to hold your breath and et cetera. And just not so much uh, to see if you are a good swimmer is if you are able, if you are comfortable uh, in the water, which, which, uh, which is part of the show. And then, um, and then in that audition, everything came into place. I finished the audition and I immediately knew that I did the best I could. And, and, and literally a week later, I was walking in Tel Aviv and got the phone call, said, hey, do you want to come to join us? Uh, which was amazing, you know, it's like a 180 degrees turn. And, and then two weeks later, I was in Vegas. So how many years after you finished gymnastics did that come about exactly? Because at this stage, you would be what, at least mid 30s? Uh, 2005, so well, about eight years, Okay. seven, eight years, I was already retired uh, from gymnastics. Um, the in, interestingly, um, I became serious, more serious with hand balancing about the same year that I got accepted to Loret. Mm -hmm. So my, um, my, my first stage and my first stage with Claude, the first time I met Claude, Victoria, which I, I know you, you wanted to ask about, um, was uh, a few months before I, the audition for Loret. So, so until then, I mean, I, I already was very, I was already do, uh, ex exploring hand balancing. You know, the, the handstand as a circus discipline is something that I already, you know, around 2003, I kind of like, okay, I, I started uh, spending a lot of time exploring hand balancing on my own, you know, just by watching circus videos and hand balancers. And um you know, I learned, I learned the one-arm handstand on my own, kind of through trial and error. Um, when I started, I already had, you know, almost 20 years of handstand. So, so it, was, it wasn't difficult for me to, to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And I was in a, in a pretty short period of time, I was holding a one-arm handstand, like uh, within weeks. But, um, but then that you know, I, I reached out and, and found Claude. Uh, that's where I really received all of my uh, basic understanding of how to practice hand balancing, which is very different from gymnastics. So how did Claude have you training initially? Was it just a lot of time on one arm? Yeah, the, the training with Claude was very, uh, very sim simple. There's not a lot of theory going on. Um, you do a 40 minutes warm up with him, kind of yoga, very soft warm up. And then the rest of the class, so the rest of the practice in the class, um, it's basically um, drills. I did focus mainly on one arm. So one arm drills, right, left, uh, different basic positions with focus on, on quality and uh, efficiency every time you go on your hands. You know, so there's no, no focus on really conditioning or physical preparation. It's 
technique from, from the start to the end, most of it. Of course, there is, if you want to develop a strength skill or whatever, there's uh, you know, need for that as well. But, but the work with him was focused mainly on, on the technique. And for me, it was new because I, never, I was never uh, coached by, by a hand balancing teacher. Mm. You know, I had gymnastics coaches and the handstand in gymnastics uh, serves your, what you do. It's not the main thing. So is the handstand for, for people that are trying to sort of work out the differences? Would you say in gymnastics, the handstand is more of a transition as opposed to a hold? Yes. So, so you know, today you basically, you, unless it's the rings where you hold the handstand for maybe two seconds, you you don't want to stop in the handstand. You want to go through the handstand, and and then also because many many skills required uh, to be in a handstand position with impact. So you need to really in a very short period of time you need to uh, to be very tight, elevated, and push as opposed to be at ease for a minute or two on your hands, which is a very different uh, very different thing. You know, so so when you when you do uh, giants on high bar, the hollow position and uh, it's it's not you're not doing it to hold the handstand. You're doing it to generate more energy to do you know the dismount or the or the releases or other skills. Mm-hmm. So so it's a, just just a little uh, you know a, a good handstand, whether it's a gymna- in gymnastics or in hand balancing, would be a good handstand. It looks pretty similar, but uh, there's more force. Uh, used in gymnastics while doing handstand because it's such a short period of time. Your time with Lorev was X amount of years, but it was for a few years, and then you finally transitioned into more hand balancing? It was eight years. Eight years in total, whoa, okay. Yeah, I started when I was, uh, you know, 32 and finished when I was 40. Was that always in Vegas as well, or was that yeah, traveling? Yeah, it was, it was a stationary show in Vegas. How was life in Vegas? It, it was uh, amazing for me, you know, and I, I, I would never, you know, choose Vegas as a place to live. Um, but the, what I had there as a, as a performer, as an artist, as it, it's, it doesn't get better for, especially for me, you know, I never had like a, um, a real background in performance. And suddenly I spent eight years of my life doing 3000 shows in one of the biggest shows possible, which for me, it was amazing, amazing group of people uh, from, you know, from around the world um, doing, doing what they love. And it was a very, very special time. Yeah. So it was quite, quite, you know, it's, it's a, it's a short conversation to, to, you know, it's a, it could be a whole uh, talk only about the show, but uh, yeah. It was it was a, quite an amazing experience, uh, very challenging also physically. Um, you know, I finished I finished the show. You know, I had two big injuries with while performing at the show. So I had like a, the the first thing that went uh, was my back. My it's kind of a resurfacing of the injury. I finished my career, my gymnastics gymnastics career, which I kind of tried to ignore. Because when you go to a show like this, you have to ignore uh, stuff like that. Otherwise, you cannot, you wouldn't go for it. So, uh, but uh, so after two years, not missing a show, my back, you know, I I caught someone and I felt a sharp pain 
and then the next day I could not walk. And um, so, you know, I went, again, I went through uh, the, um, you know, cortisone shots and if it didn't get better, what's now? And then I didn't really have a choice. It was either to quit the show or to do a surgery. And I, I opted for the surgery, um, which was in retrospect, a very good decision. Um, and, and, you know, it took me about, I had a microdisectomy. So it's a, it's a procedure that basically takes part of the damaged disc and cleans, cleans the area and releasing the nerve that was, you know, pinching. And, um, you know, eight months later, I was back in the, back in the show. And after a year, I was full uh, doing everything I did before the injury. And, and then a few years later, my shoulder went. So I had a, a slap tear uh, in my labrum, in my shoulder. Um, and this was actually a harder one to, to rehab from than my back. But I also got, you know, you basically um, required to, after you do the rehab, to go back to your track in the show. So you, you have to do everything you did until the injury and back in the show. Otherwise, Whoa. they can terminate your contract. So that was uh, very challenging, especially since I had some, you know, pulling, uh, you know, I had the Chinese pole and, and stuff that requires a lot of force from the, from the shoulders. And, um, but again, I, I was able to, uh, to go back into the show because I wasn't ready to, to quit. I, I enjoyed it so much. And I, I really found a uh, big joy of, of, of making a living, doing something I love. Um, and, and all through the whole eight years, um, I was continuing to, on the side, to develop my hand balancing skills which I was doing a little bit in the show, but it was far from being the main thing I did in the show. How did it feel being off your hands for a few months? How many months were you off with the labrum tear? I mean, with the back surgery, it took way, way... Uh, I mean, I was on my hands about two, two three weeks after operation. Really? But in off the records, now I can say it, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you know I, I just, you know, crawled on the wall and went on my, and, and, and it was, you know, retrospectively, handstand was a big part of the rehab process. I did handstand every day, aside from the regular traditional rehab uh, that I did in-house with our athletic trainers and physical therapists. Mm -hmm. I know quite a few people that have injured their shoulders doing dynamic press work or pulling work. And the handstand has actually been very therapeutic for their shoulders. Getting them to overhead press has been a very, um, it is basically enhanced that rehabilitation process as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, 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 for me, since I'm a hand balancer, it was, you know, the, the first thing was just go back into doing a two-arm handstand. And then mm -hmm. I did my left arm, which was, uh, was not injured. So I, I did, I continued practicing on my left arm and then little by little regain my ability to start pushing from the right arm. And, and until, to, you know, today, my, 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 my right arm was always the dominant one. And then today, it's, it's back to being the dominant, mm. uh, dominant arm. Well, Although I, I, I practice both sides kind of equally. Yeah, I always feel like my left's about two years behind my right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always yeah. a chase. But, um, 
you know, also when you do uh, after an injury like this, you do such an intense rehab, then you, you often what happens, you gain, you know, you do, I also did things that I've never done before uh, as part of the rehab and, you know, whether it's kettlebells and weight training and, the, you know, just basic stuff, uh, external rotation work and all that stuff. Yeah, so, so I, I, I was, went back to the show and, and still performed uh, three more years after that. And before I decided, uh, me and my wife was also a performer there, we decided to, um, to, to quit the show to, you know, after eight years of doing the same, the same show, we both felt it was time to, to move on to, to the next thing without really knowing what's going to be the next thing. But, uh, you know, it, it was, we both felt it was time. So you both met in the initial stages of your time in the performance? Did you both yeah, meet? Yeah. We, uh, we, yeah. We started uh, dating quite early on when I arrived and, uh, um, you know, we had our two daughters while while at the show in Vegas. Whoa! Yeah, so um, both were born in uh, in in Vegas. That must have been incredible seeing you guys perform at an early age. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the older Yael was able to to see us performing. I mean, she was, you know, she was four years old when we left Vegas, so she saw us both performing. Bomi was two years old, so she she you know. She was in the stroller in the in the theater, but I don't think she she doesn't remember anything. Yeah. Do you think that rubbed off on them as well? I mean, obviously, you, both of you guys are, are movers and, and operating at a high standard. And do you think being surrounded by that culture uh, has shaped how they're developing? Because gymnastics is part of their ongoing development, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, mostly by by seeing. You know. Uh, they saw me on, on my hands very early on and, and my wife swimming in the pool very early on. And, and this is the two directions that they took. One of them is a synchronized swimmer, the Yael, the older one, and the little one is uh, started gymnastics and now transitioned into rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah, it's not, we're, we're trying not to you know, push them to any direction. You know, they need to find their, their passion and their reason for doing it. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a normal thing for them to yeah to to see us doing it. Yeah, leading by example for sure. I mean, I used to love when I was with you in Ibiza. Obviously, I spent time with you prior to that in the UK, but I used to love seeing them practice while you're demonstrating, or they might flip across, sort of do like a like a handspring or backdrop in front of the class as you're sort of teaching. I thought that was so good to see as well. Um, just just seeing them express themselves as well i think it's brilliant because very often in certain cultures it's like right you sit still don't do anything but for them to be part of the class i think is a brilliant experience for us to see as well it's also a big challenge as i think um i don't i don't believe uh, parents should coach their kids both me and my wife are on the same page there and it's super difficult also so they don't really want to listen to you but uh, i think it's healthier to keep the you know the separation between what happens in the gym or the pool than what happens as parents at home and, and more support the kids for, for what they're doing, um, finding a good coach for them. Um, you know, so, so I, I really, we both of us don't, don't really coach, you know, the, the girls, we, we try to more to play. So, you know, whenever they ask me 
to help them in handstand or, or something, of course, I'll come and help them. But I'm, I'm with, you know, I try as much as I can not to push them into doing it, not to be the, okay, now to go do the reps, you know, <laughs> they, they don't want to do reps. Two minutes. They just, <laughs> just want to have fun with it. Yeah. So, so trying to keep it uh, fun and, and then still trying to give them some, uh, some basics from what, what, what I can. Do you find those questions come naturally when you are playing? So you, you did say that you'd help with your handstand occasionally. Do you feel that they ask without you needing to say anything now because you've just given them the space to do so? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, it needs not to be forced, you know, not to, for them to feel like any pressure to do it. Like my expectation is to you to do it. And it's hard sometimes because kids have probably, you know, they ask themselves, what are their parents expecting them? And um, so, so it's something I need to also hold myself sometimes. Like on the one hand, there is the coach side of me like, okay, now point your feet and push and this <laughs> and this and, and hollow chest and belly in. And, da, da, da. and then like, no, I just want to have fun with it. You know, yeah, you know so, yeah. so if you're able to you know, teach them to point their feet, not by telling them you have to point your feet or you have to push or you have to tilt your pelvis or whatever it's it's more like non-verbal cues that that work the best and 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 in general that's how uh all gymnasts learn they never they, they have no idea most if you talk to the average gym they have no idea how they learned to do the handstand and they probably don't have the recollection of their first handstand okay the, it's the coach put them in the position and if, if it's a good coach and, uh, and there's like trust between the gymnast, the kid and the coach, they'll just follow what the coach leads you to do and then repeat it enough time in the correct way uh, until it's ingrained in the body. That's mm. how gymnasts learn handstand. You know, it was ve- it's very different than how I teach today handstand to adults. The approach is completely different. It has to go through the head. You know, you have to understand the technique. You have to understand... But, you know, go tell the, you know, tell your, your six-year-old kid to put the center of mass over their base of support <laughs> and rotate their pelvis and hollow their, they don't work in the, these terms. It doesn't mean anything and it's annoying for them, you know, but, but you can also at the same time, you know, position the feet of your child over their hands and push a gently towards the floor so they can feel the vertical and then tell them to push this is something that they can understand mm-hmm. so it's very very feeling based as opposed to like trying to sort of build that logic in at that early yeah, stage yeah exactly so so so, so the, the process of learning uh, for kids is very different uh, than than adults learning uh, these skills um you know, which, which I also, you know, developed as, as, a, as a teacher over the years, because I never really, uh, I never taught gymnastics or uh, adults when I started. And you must find some adults work better with a feeling-based approach as opposed to a logical or reference point approach. So do, do you find this on the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a meeting between different people, different personalities. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the big parts of, of me learning as a teacher was adapting to, to the people that came to the workshops, whether, you know, 
it comes from you know a crossfitter as opposed to a yogi they have a completely different set of abilities or limitations you know and you need to adapt to both i'm you know i, I don't i teach everyone i don't see like you don't have to have a certain uh, set of skills in order to do a handstand how the handstand is going to look it's a different issue but but the, the basic you know first is to get the balance and then over time develop what what is needed in order to straighten the handstand or, or improve the quality of, of the handstand so some people might be thinking because because i've had this before what's the difference in a handstand so you can look at the gymnastic style of handstand now is very sort that of the line is incredible very very different to maybe how it looked 20 30 years ago or maybe even longer ago 50 years yeah, ago yeah yeah for sure would you say that i mean obviously there's always a conversation that which one's correct and i, I mean also you know um it's interesting because like the the handstand in hand balancing you know 30 years ago was ahead of gymnastics was straighter and in a different better as a whole I, I wouldn't generalize, but but if you look at videos from the 1984 Olympics, everybody is doing kind of slightly banana handstand. Where you look at uh, 2020, uh, you know the handstand is looks more than what everybody today recognizes as the correct straight handstand, hollow mm -hmm. position, and and all that stuff. Um, but but there there are many there are many examples today. You're not judged in gymnastics or in hand balancing. Uh, I mean, hand balancing is not a competition, but in gymnastics, it's a competitive sport. You're not necessarily judged by your ability to do a perfect handstand. You, you are judged by the, the level of, uh, of, the, of your routines, the difficulty that you can generate. So you have examples. Some of the best gymnasts you know, have amazing handstand, but you have some Olympic champions on certain discipline that don't have the perfect handstand but the, the level of skill is so high, you know? So, so um, it should serve you. The handset should serve you, not necessarily, you know, the, the, the perfection of the handstand is, is I find value on a personal level to always strive towards doing a better handstand for me to, to get to, to a higher level. But it doesn't mean that... Uh, you cannot do a, an amazing one-arm handstand without a perfect handstand. You have a good handstand. You need a good handstand, but not a perfect handstand, a perfectly looking handstand, at least. Do you feel Claude was sort of um, a huge influence on the, the line, the handstands we see more and more of within the hand balancing world now? Would you say he played a big part in that alignment that you see? Uh, you know, um, Claude was, I mean, he had a big influence first before, before I met him mostly on the, on the circus community. So you have generations of, of French and uh, circus artists who, who studied with him. Uh, he was influenced by the Russian school and he had uh, an Italian teacher who came from a circuit family. So, 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 you know, and, uh, and, um, he used to tell like his teacher kind of like one of the first one who, who kind of uh, was methodically doing the straight handstand. Um, but for example, if, if you look at Claude's handstand, his own handstand, it's not, it's not a perfect handstand. 
he was never he never had great shoulder mobility and you know so he had the opened his chest but he has a straight handstand you know the main the main issue he had the feet the the, the hips the shoulders and the hands were all uh, in in the vertical um, and then and then judging you know you see many of his students with with the the straighter line that you see today so so i think you know uh i found claude by like one of the hand balancers that inspired me his name is samuel tetro he's like a founder of um of a company in montreal called seven fingers i said what de la main um and also a Cirque du Soleil performer. And he, and, and back in, back in 2003 or four, I read, uh, you know, I, I loved his uh, hand balancing act until today is one of the better hand balancing acts I've seen, um, both artistically and technically. And, uh, and, in, and on his uh, website, I, I, he mentioned Claude. That's the first time I've ever heard the name, and and like you know, you know, I studied for uh, under the, you know, the legendary hand balancing master Claude Victoria. And I said, who is this guy? So so that's kind of like led me to to uh, research. Uh, I think Google was not there yet, so I had to find in Netscape or whatever uh, some you know how can I get in touch with him? And I found another student of his. Uh, from Morocco, a contortionist who studied with him, and and she connected us. And then I, you know, without knowing him, I just went to spend a week with him. He invited me to to train with him. So so, you know, and and following me, like also after I spent time, Yuval Oz, another hand balancer from Israel, a friend of mine. I, uh, you know, he went to study with him, and also Ido went to study with him for a week and, and gave him a big, uh, you know, um, a lot of people uh, heard about him suddenly that are not connected to, to the handstand community. You know, the handstand, it, you know, since the early 2000s, suddenly handstand has become a thing for the general public. Before that, it was only acrobats or circus artists that studied this art in, in this form. I'm not talking about doing handstand on the beach. You know, I have a picture of my dad doing handstand in, in 1950, you know. Um, so, so, you know, a nice, a nice glorious banana handstand. <laughs> yeah. But, but so, yeah. so his impact, you know, it's definitely had a huge impact uh, on me. You know, he gave me kind of the, kind of the roadmap to, to my handstand practice. You know, so basically I, I spent, I didn't spend too many weeks with him. I spent one week with him the first time and then three days here and four days here. And, you know, I, you know not too many times uh, when I had that chance, I, I went to spend some time with him and see him and, and uh, you know, kind of also validate where I'm at with, with my hands in practice. But most of the time I practice on my own, um, but having his... Uh, approach and also you know uh, uh, the pictures of his students on the wall of his house Th this these were my reference of what I'm trying to to do style wise and and how my hands should look like and then through practice 
you know, digging in and, and trying to uh, improve myself constantly according to these guidelines were basically his big contribution to, um, to my own practice. And I, and I believe also his influence um, on the handsome community through, uh, through me, through, uh, through Miguel, through, through other, through Ido, through Yuval Oz, through other people that are sharing also their practice uh, whether as, as hand balancers or as teachers, of course, he has a huge impact mm. indirectly. You, yeah. And you started to learn head balancing with Claude? Was that learned through yeah. him as well? Yeah, that, that's interesting because I, the first time I met him, he was like, for him, head balancing and handstand is part of the same, same thing. It's equilibrium, it's balance work. Um, you study it together and you see it often very typical in circus schools also. And, but I was, you know, I was 33 and I came, I was like, you know, Claude, uh, my <laughs> neck and I don't know if I want to do this. And, and he said, okay, don't worry about it. Let's focus on handstand. And he let it go. And then when I, um, when I quit the show in Vegas, I, was, I turned 40, we moved to Europe, uh, had no idea what's going to happen uh, from there. And then I, I decided as a personal challenge to give it a try. And um, so it's, it, again, trial and error, Yuval Oz, who, who did study with Claude head balancing, uh, prepared my first, uh, you know, headstand donut thing and uh, for me. And, and I started exploring it with some, you know, guidance uh, of him or other head balancers that I met along the way. And then um, it became uh, simply a part of my practice, my daily practice since then. So since... 2014 I've been doing head, headstand every day yeah I remember you saying something to me you said that you, you'd never seen or known of a head bouncer with a bad neck yes you know I mean often the question you know my mom are you sure it's good for your neck you know mm. like uh, it's a right right thing to ask if you're if you're a parent <laughs> uh, and uh, or, or people in general like I, I wouldn't recommend this type of head bouncing to the general public and at the same time um i think like i've never seen someone who practices seriously head bouncing with neck issues if anything your neck adapts to it and uh you know this constant force on the neck requires you to lengthen it uh, lengthen your neck and i think it's good for your cervical spine because i remember in ibiza something that I really took on from this point when when you said you adopted a handstand and you said feel my neck and your neck was so relaxed and soft as well and I, I almost wondered it got me thinking it's like with the handstand where there's the uh, sort of lack of compression there's almost like a traction on your neck if you can relax it in conjunction with a headstand you've got compression relaxation or, or traction it seems to make sense in terms of the two practices sitting next to each other and working together synergistically. Yeah, so, so, so this is the physical part of it. I think, I think there is a value. There's no science on it because there are not enough people doing it. Mm -hmm. It's still like a, a esoteric activity. Um, but I can only say from experience, from the people I've met, people that have, and, and by, by practicing it, uh, that means that you need to do it on a regular basis. Mm. It's not something that you, you know, you don't... Uh, 
practice headstand once a week and like, ah, okay, let's now do an hour of head balancing and play with it. You need to slowly adapt to it and, and, and do it with correct technique with the neck lengthened without any mistakes, big mistakes. So often what, what the, the first thing that the instinct uh, when learning head balancing is to balance from your neck, to save the balance from your neck. Um, but if, if you lose balance too fast and you try to save it from your neck, then uh, you strain your neck, you, you, you get injured, you know? And so, so what, one of the first thing, like uh, in, in head balancing, you wanna keep your neck motionless and lengthened constantly while the body, the hips, the arms, the limbs and the hips are the, and, and the spine are constantly moving and, and uh, rebalancing, trying to find this transitory uh, balance, you know, which is different than handstand in that sense. It's much less stre in, uh, strength uh, than in handstand. In two-arm handstand, you have, it's either forward or backward. In one-arm handstand, it's all direction, but you have to counterbalance. So the body is pulling you to one direction. You need to counterbalance to the other. So you need to use force in order to do that. In head, head balancing, um, you, you, the balance point continuously moves and, and you reach it and you lose it and you constantly search to go back to this uh, dead balance, which, gonna, which, you, which you're gonna lose. And then you're gonna find again. So, so, so uh, learning how to really uh, relax your body as a, while constantly lengthening your neck is, is one of the things you learn through the process of, uh, of learning the skill. Would you say the head balancing improves your hand balancing in terms of relaxing the body more in that position? Because you're so reliant on feeling where the weight is shifting. I, I would say, yeah, I would say you can do without it. You know, I, I also, I learned yeah. one-arm handstand and high-level hand balancing without it. But I can see, I can see these little, very uh, delicate areas and balancing the ability to, to move the pelvis just a little bit and, and, and reduce uh, the need to use force to hold the handstand. That's where, you know, the, you develop a feeling mm. of, of, of the balance which which you can you know which is learned through the process of of developing the headstand and, and for me i mean it's just for me also i i would say um the the big the big thing was being a beginner you know like being a beginner in a discipline that has connection to my other discipline which is headstand handstand uh was very refreshing you know, I've been doing hand balancing already for 20 years and, and it's not that I'm bored, but you need to kind of keep the exciting, excitement going and, and, and feeling that you're learning a new skill. And, and since I started hand, head balancing, I had this, you know, I constantly learned something going deeper within that discipline, which, which can also uh, keep my excitement also with my with my handstand, which is important. I think it's important to remain uh, passionate about, about the discipline, especially when it's inherently a repetitive practice. You can't get away from it, you know? 
So, so keeping it fresh, keeping it interesting, uh, always feeling that you are learning a new skill, not necessarily because you develop more strength or more flexibility or mobility. It's, it's because it's very skill-based, very, you know, focus on, on efficiency and, and kind of discovering. Oh, 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 uh, that's how I feel. I always discover new things with, with my headstand and as well as handstand. But since head balancing is new, it's, it's uh, very uh, uh, refreshing and, and I always feel I'm getting something out of it. I suppose the other way you could look is there is a, there's a limit, isn't there, to the, to the type of skill you can continue to practice. We're, we're all getting older. That's part of the process. And doing like big dynamic jumps and this sort of stuff for years to come uh, in 60s, 70s, maybe even 80s, it's not really sustainable, is it? So finding other practices where you could almost transverse across and practice something else within the same sort of... Um, technicality level i totally agree and, and this is uh you know a, a big topic um being being in, in the you know i'm an aging acrobat there's no way around it and i've been experienced experiencing aging in the last 20 years because i already started kind of old for you know as a hand balancer um you know and um you know being able to sustain a practice and, and being honest with yourself. And, and uh, um, you know, I have one aspect of my personality is competitive. I always want to reach a higher level of skill. Uh, and, and since it's such a physical practice, um, you know, you, you are constantly pushing the limits as your body uh, cannot sustain the same amount of work that, that I've done 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, so, so a, a big, a big issue that I have is, is knowing, is recognizing my limitation and where to put a limit. Okay. Where, when is the last time I need, I can, you know, like there is going to be a last time when I'm, when I'm going to do a one-arm handstand, will I recognize it before it's too late or will I, will, will an injury cause it? Mm. And, and, and doing big trick, all these power moves or press to handstand or, or switching hands, there's risk. There's risk involved if you do a mistake or, or if your body is not uh, you know, uh, ready to do it or, or you're too, simply too old to do it. Uh, so, so recognizing it is something that I, I, I'm, I'm thinking a lot, a lot about it. Uh, sometimes like when, when is it enough? to like, when, when is the time to say, okay, that's enough. It's like, I did like, uh, uh, I retired in 98 from gymnastics until the last day I did an irons cross on the rings, for example, which is, you know, basic gymnastics scale. I, very easy for me back in the day. Mm. Uh, but I haven't done an iron cross since 1998, since I retired. And, and um, I believe I can regain the ability to do it, but the risk is too high. For me, it doesn't give me anything as as a, as a practitioner. So so this is this is for me a good example of like okay, choosing your battles and and wh where to put the energy and and like you said, how can I sustain that practice? For me today is more important than 
than competing with uh, with a 20 year old Ukrainian kid or a Chinese kid who was doing a one arm for an hour so 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 you know like it really forces me to to look uh, look at the mirror and 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 see what what is the right thing to do as a practitioner so I can still do it for many more years and continue to maybe develop more subtle areas of my practice, mm. you know, which require balance and efficiency rather than throwing the big tricks. Yeah. You know, and, and it's hard because I want to do the big tricks, you know? We uh, all, we're all influenced. We're all influenced today also with the internet. You see everything in real time. You see all the best in the world doing their thing today. So, so it forces you on the one hand to compete on the one hand, it's like, okay, should I do it or should I not? You know, can uh, like a, a 20 year old can get injured and three weeks later, they're back on, on track because their body heals faster. Yeah. A 50 year old or 40 year old injures their shoulder or wrist they're, they're, they they risk not being able to do it again or not to do it as they did before. So, so it's something that I'm, it's very, I think it's important uh, to, to re- recognize and, uh, and it also forces me, you know, not force me, but, you know, like head developing of the head balancing, which is still quite intense, but uh, also discipline like jugglings bring me a lot of uh, joy and um, the, the sensation that I'm learning new patterns and new things all the time. Uh, I originally started juggling because I wanted to do it on my head, but then <laughs> then it led me to to develop <laughs> juggling and um, you know so so occasionally I add these uh, projects um, which which also makes make things interesting and also I feel ultimately uh, helped me develop my hand balancing as it it brings that excitement. Uh, and the sensation, uh, the feeling of learning new, new things without paying any price or risking. Yeah, for anyone that wants to see that juggling on your head, uh, uh, check out your Val's page. I put the links in the show notes, but it's incredible. And I don't think I've ever heard that before. I, I wanted to take up juggling to do it on my head. I think it's such a brilliant, brilliant thing. But it, I, I see it quite a lot now. I, I had to give up football. I played football for um, probably 15, 16 years and I got to a point where I injured my knee and I could have gone back. I rehabbed it. It was good to go. I could probably still play now. And I realized that if I went back and it happened again, it'd be another six months off work. It could be it could be the, the end of my knee. I could need a new replacement or, or surgery. And it definitely pushed me more towards this where I started to learn hand balancing because I couldn't use my legs. So I had to start using my hands instead. I thought, well, what can I do with this stuff? Um, I met, uh, I think I met Miguel in London. And then I came to your, in the same year, I came to your training in Tunbridge Wells. And that, that went on for a couple of years. It might've even been three. And then I came out to Ibiza with you as well, as well as doing other trainings with Miguel. And the subtleties of the practice, when I first started, handstand seemed like quite a good thing and I look back now and I think oh my god what was I doing because you, you look back at your initial hand balances and with the banana back with the with the shoulders are closed and everything else and you realize how subtle it is so when you look at somebody else's hand balance you go okay 
yeah, yeah, it's coming or it's developing. But to that person, they might think, yes, nailed it. And it's always a, a journey, isn't it? You look back at five years ago, 10 years ago, and you might notice tiny subtleties in your practice that at the time felt correct. But now you go, okay, maybe that this needs to be a bit different. I suppose in head balancing, definitely. Yeah. I mean, also uh, you're aging. So, so I, I almost, you know, I can, I've been doing, you know, one arm handstand for 20 years or so almost. And, and, but, you know, my, but my body is different. I had the two major surgeries since then, which I had to regain the ability to do the handstand and readapt to it. And, and, and then the body is continuing to get older and I, there were injuries along the way my my vision you know the last few years and my vision is is deteriorating you know it's like a big slap in the face where you're like okay i'm a i'm actually aging you know mm. things are changing and it's not the same and and then at the same time my my practice is consistent so so um you know you you, you often you know you uh, because I push myself, I try, you know, you get injured and you realize, okay, I shouldn't have done this extra set or why am I doing this five minutes? It doesn't really, you know, like there, there are certain things that, like I said before, like 20 year old can take and a 40 year old cannot, you know, and, and, and learning, having this, I'm like, I'm, and I'm still learning and I'm still doing mistakes and I get injured once in a while. But learning to recognize when it, when, when is uh, like recognizing when the body is giving you the signs is something that I'm I'm still learning. It's difficult because of and on one hand you have this push mentality, like you want to push further to improve, to learn the skill, and at the same time not to pay the price for mistakes. So 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 this this is an ongoing, you know. Um, process that that i'm going through and and still uh still do some mistakes but but uh, i'm I'm starting to feel like i'm I'm able to like okay i'm not going to do this extra repetition i'm not going to do this like if i feel like no 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 i feel something in the bicep i am not going to do this extra pull-up yeah yeah and i've discussed this with many coaches as well and it always seems to come back to people tend to overtrain they tend if, if they dialed it back slightly, you'd achieve, it's that consistency, isn't it? Small amounts done consistently tend to equate to a little bit more over time than doing huge sessions once a week or, or twice a month, whatever it might be. The next question actually fed into that quite nicely. Training around the family, how have you found that's different as, as time's gone on, as the, the children have got older, maybe reflecting on life as just being married or being single? I mean, I, I, I kind of have like a, a good situation, you know, I, so I train now when the girls go to school, you know, so uh, during the show, when the girls were born, the, the first four years, you know, we were parents of, of babies, uh, we were still both full time in the show. And, and again, so I, I did my practice when I went to the show. So mm-hmm. I did, you know, I arrived at, uh, uh, four o'clock or you know to the theater and did my practice and then in between shows I did some more handstand and uh, you know and and performed and then sometimes in the morning when I had time I did extra work you know and so so you you you're able to adapt your practice to your family and still be a parent you know 
still you know spend time with your kids as much as you can um so so the 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 struct it's a little less structured i can train in the morning i can train in the evening i can train you know i had i just you know i always i call it vacation mode so with, when i go to vacation with with the with the family i just i wake up at 6 30 and and finish my do my get my work done before they wake up and then still spend the rest of the day with them or try you know so so uh and then i go back to my regular practice prepare the girl to school and have my second coffee and do my practice in the morning or in the evening if i need to yeah it's it's, it's something i found as well it's that flexibility is needed it's it's almost understanding it's going to happen it's going to happen at some point today maybe even tomorrow but during the course of this week rather than thinking of things on a daily basis over the course of this week i'm going to achieve four practices and it, it's going to happen at some point. So I'm, I'm not going to stress. It is what it is. Yeah, and 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 the, and the goals should be, you know, and, and this connects to to general approach towards practice. You know, uh, short-term goals, long-term goals. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know what happened in each. I don't have a plan for any of my practices. Okay, I I, I kind of like have my routines. I have a certain sets that I do every day, and then and I, and I have certain sets that. I do specifically for that day with the same with mobility, the the same with, with, uh, you know, I have some basic strength, you know, I'll do handsome pushups and, and planches and presses at least once a week. Okay. But uh, in order to maintain certain level of ability, but, you know, um, I don't have, like, I don't engineer my practices to, you know, I, I don't have a, a written plan and I, this is what I'm going to do today. And things happen in the practice. And, and, I, and, and if, you, if you're doing a high level skill, there's a chance that you're going to fail the skill. It's more about uh, you know, being focused and being, um, being aware of your mistakes or, or you know, recognizing when it's good and not good uh, technically. Um, so so it's, it's, it's looser in, in that sense. Uh, so, so is if you have like your big goal is a one-arm handstand by the end of the year or in two years, this is where you're looking at. That's the that's the mountain, and then you have to make many different achievements along the way in order to reach that. And sometimes it happens on a weekly basis. Sometimes it's happening on a monthly basis. You know, so 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 having these um, you know little victories along the way are. are a you know big big concept that I that I go up, you know accordingly like with my own practice and also recommend uh, to people who work with me it's like you need to finish the week with a sense of some achievement it could be in different areas of your practice um, that are leading towards your bigger goal along the way that leads nicely into my last question so to finish every podcast Yuval I'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. So what principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundations of human health, or in other words, a human first approach? Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it changes and I experiment with different things along the way, but uh, you know, one of the big parts of, of the handstand practice is a routine which evolves over time. So, so there are certain things that, that uh, 
need to be part of, of, of your daily routine as, as an athlete. Um, I'll focus on, on my hand balancing practice because, uh, you know, I'm, um, so look for, for like for the last, for quite a while, I'm starting for like 10 minutes a day. I start my practice on my feet and I start from the spine. So I start, try to articulate my spine in as many ways possible, whether extension, twisting, flexion, uh, starting with the pelvis, moving up towards the neck and, and trying to really address uh, the spine as a whole, and then moving towards my limbs, uh, feet and, and wrist, and, and, and then, you know, including everything, including the knees. So, um, you know, prepare, and, and, and basically as a hand balancer, the, the most important thing, by the time I'm gonna do my first handstand, I, I, I wanna I not have any surprises, whether it's my wrist or my back or, or my neck. I wanna be ready for the work and, and learning and, and having this routine also helps you recognize when things are off. Okay, so, so if, if you're doing your routine, your daily routine and, and like, okay, my, 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 my lower back or my shoulder is feeling a little, when I'm doing a plank, I feel my shoulder and my wrist. So I sh of course I should not go on my hands yet. That wouldn't be the right thing to do. So, so instead of spending 10 minutes on my, I'll, I'll spend uh, half an hour longer and doing prehab, rehab, uh, mobility work, uh, and, and then ease into, into the hands, for example. So I think, I think that the routine doesn't necessarily have to be a specific routine, but a routine is something that every high-level practitioner uh, develops for themselves. And also allowing it to evolve over time and learn new things and, and throw away things that don't work anymore and, and et cetera. You know, so so that that would be one little thing. Uh, I would uh, develop your develop your routine. There's a lot in that. There's a lot to unpack, and you could definitely transverse that across to any aspect of life. That routine could be anything. Being a parent, just being a human in general. There's so many things you can adopt. Uh, Yuval, I, I know you're a busy man, so thank you so much for joining me today. Massively appreciate it. It's really good to to catch up as always, and ho hopefully get to see you again soon. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen this year. I agree. Let's, <laughs> let's aim for that. Long-term goal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Yuval. All the best. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. To find out more, head to Yuval on Hands on Google, Instagram, or Facebook, or follow the links in the show notes. See you on the next episode.